It was such a comfort. And slowly, in the years following Allison's death, her parents found a renewed mission. Sanders, who was released from the psychiatric hospital after about two weeks, left his job in commercial litigation and began offering his services to other families involved in airbag lawsuits. He began also to lobby the government to force automakers to install safer airbags and to require them to place warning labels in cars, telling parents not to allow their kids to ride in the front seat. Knox underwent a transformation as well. She founded a non-profit called Crossings and became one of the first people in the country dedicated to helping the families and friends of the deceased work through the emotionally taxing, logistically tricky, and sometimes unpleasant process of caring for a dead body at home. She read everything she could, reached out to others involved in the nascent cause, and began offering her services as a kind of consultant, advising both on consumer funeral rights and on a new, really ancient, kind of grieving. Caring for the dead, Knox said, requires a fierce determination and a willingness to follow your loved one to a place where few modern Americans dare to go. Just one hundred years ago, the sight of a dead body laid out in someone's front parlor would not have been at all unusual. Indeed, the home was the province of the funeral for most of U.S. history. According to records from the 1600s and 1700s, the earliest Americans often died at home and remained at home until the burial. There they were washed, wrapped in shrouds, and laid out on boards while the family made preparations for a funeral feast. This homespun approach to death largely persisted throughout most of the 1800s. In addition to family and midwives, women known as layers out of the dead took care of the immediate tasks following a death. The body might be placed over ice and watched over for days to ensure the person was truly dead and wouldn't be buried alive. Sometimes the bereaved had a photographer come to take a post-mortem picture. Family, neighbors, or local carpenters made the coffin. The elaborate etiquette that evolved around mourning in the Victorian era reflected this intimacy with death. There were lengthy bereavement periods, elaborate mourning clothes, and even a fondness for jewelry made from the hair of the dead. Much of this desired proximity was connected to the idea of what 19th-century Americans called the good death. A good death was one that took place at home, surrounded by family who could not only tend to suffering, but assess the state of the dying person's soul, writes historian Drew Gilpin Faust in This Republic of Suffering, Death and the American Civil War. Because Americans came to believe that the moment of death fixed the state of the soul, determining what would happen in the afterlife, dying itself became a kind of art, filled with declarations of faith. And after the good death, writes historian Gary Laterman in The Sacred Remains, American Attitudes Towards Death, 1799-1883, the intimacy that survivors maintained with the corpse preserved it, at least until the actual internment, as evidence of a valuable and vital social relation. Ironically, it was this desire to be close to the dead that ultimately helped usher bodies out of the home. Embalming, which advanced as a science around the same time as the Civil War, allowed for the corpses of men who had died on far-off battlefields to return home for some semblance of the good death. Families sought to see their lost loved ones in as lifelike a state as possible, Faust writes not just to be certain of their identity, but also to bid them farewell. 
and when it came to preserving some false spark of life, none of the available alternatives, the Staunton Transportation Case Portable Refrigerator, for example, could match embalming. In 1861, the preserved body of a Union colonel killed in Virginia was honored at the White House to great fanfare. His embalmer went on to preserve more than 4,000 bodies and became a rich man. And, at the close of the war, the embalmed body of Abraham Lincoln traveled 1,700 miles from Washington, D.C. to Springfield, Illinois, with many stops along the way for Americans to pay their respects. Around the turn of the century, undertakers would often bring their scalpels, tubes, needles, forcepts, eye caps, and other supplies to the house of the deceased, and perform the embalming there, sometimes with relatives watching. But eventually, embalming moved out of the home and into places of business. Death, in general, was increasingly processed outside of any residence. Advances in science lowered the death rate and made hospitals the primary places of dying. An increase